0: Everybody and welcome to the Aggie Bo Alleycats Podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State Sporting News that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthasor. And welcome to this week's weekly recap, where we actually have a lot of more smaller stuff to kind of go over. A little bit of realignment, a little bit of track and field, a little bit of men's golf, and then of course the bat Cats and the Wacky Segment of the Week. So let's not of the point let's just dive straight into realignment chicanery. So the ACC is uh apparently allegedly they are having their own problems right now with originally it was reported 7 now it's gone up to 8 with the inclusion of Louisville uh schools trying to negotiate and see quote unquote how tight the deal is for the media rights and uh, apparently a lot of those ACC schools may be looking to go elsewhere. And we naturally made a tweet about it because one of the two of us really likes making realignment spreadsheets. I'll give you a hint, it's the one whose first name starts with a C.
1: <laughs> it's Case.
0: Case. Case Keenum, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or Case McCoy.
0: Case McCoy. True. But yeah, I the Pac-12 also has a no media rights deal. So Naturally, we're going to have for the third year in a row. It's a tradition at this point. We're going to do a realignment episode sometime in the middle of June. But I don't know. Where do you what do you think about the the ACC having their issues? And of course, the Pac-12 seemingly not being able to find any uh, any rights holders.
1: Um, I think the ACC's issues, I think they're manifesting a little sooner than I thought they were going to. But it's not shocking, I think, that they're having issues because I think in terms of media dollars relative to um, star power in a conference, ACC, with their current talent, should have a much better deal than they have. And their deal kind of sucks. In many ways, it's objectively worse than the Big 12s. Uh, it's going to be better than the if the PAC 12 decides to make a new deal, it'll be better than whatever they cobble together there. But that's not saying much because the PAC 12, if they stay together, is just going to get fleeced. Um, but the ACC is not super surprising that there's all this strife right now. I think it's been interesting to see how quickly it's kind of bubbled over and how I think in just a few days, they've picked up more momentum than the PAC 12 seemingly has in months. Yeah. And they uh, have their group of seven. There's been scattered reports uh, and conflicting reports about Louisville joining that group. Um, I'd imagine that at least some of that is because they know they could probably land in the Big Twelve if they played their cards right. Considering they were nearly extended an invitation um, about a decade ago, but then West Virginia came instead. So, ACC they're going to continue to look how to get out of it. They're almost certainly going to be some court battles over this. Um, Cause they allegedly have an ironclad grant of rights, but I think they're trying to figure out exactly how ironclad that is. Um, it could be about anything really, but I imagine this is being spearheaded by the likes of Florida State and uh, Miami, um, but probably North Carolina as well. But I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the conference really splinter off and, Some schools go to the SEC, some go to the Big 10. A few will come to the Big 12. Um, If the Pac-12 drags its feet longer and the ACC collapses before they do, then we might see four ACC schools. But if they both kind of collapse simultaneously, we'll just kind of evaluate them uh, school by school and see which ones fit the best. We might see a combo of ACC and Pac-12 schools. But on the Pac-12, I'm kind of giving up on making predictions on what's going to happen there because I don't even think the schools that have been thinking about leaving know what they're going to do because the Arizona State AD once again pushed back their deadline. Uh, So at this point, if you're George Klievkov, I don't know why you'd even try to make a deal at this point because it's clear that some of the schools that were threatening to leave – yeah. They clearly were threatening to leave, but at least some of them probably don't want to leave. Or at the very least, don't want to be the first to do it. There's still some schools that could leave, but the ACC is maybe a bit more ripe for the picking because there's a significantly larger group that is actively looking to leave than the Pac-12, where it's probably about a 50-50 split.
0: Yeah, so that that's sort of all all we know for sure. Obviously, we can predict, but we don't want to... To step on the future spreadsheet that's going to be created we each have a two different well i have one spreadsheet in the making that's for the the anniversary episode but you know just a little sneak peek there it's pretty close to the anniversary episode last year but (laughs) that that's sort of all we can touch on about realignment just that there 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 are rumblings so maybe it's nothing maybe it's something who's to say we'll find out soon Next we can move into Connor's favorite thing to cover on the show and that is track and field you may notice that we've only covered track and field once on this show and it went horribly we're it went. <laughs> it, it went so we're going to instead just have a more focused approach this time because the big twelve championships for track and field was last weekend, I do believe and you know, uh, K-State ended up having nine total podium finishers. Just to uh, sort of quickly go over them, uh, Stephen Kilhoffner in the men's 1500, and Haley Sflechter at 5th and 7th. In the women's 400-meter, it was Shalassia Ray and Oshaila Johnson at 6th and 8th. Women's discus, Tamia Kuntz, got a in 4th place. Uh, Nicholas Jean Molin got eighth in the 400 meters men's triple jump was seventh Devin richardson 11 javor bennett as well as in the men's 5000 meters 18th was matthew hauser the 4x4 women's relay eighth was k-state men's 4x4 relay was sixth and then that's pretty much all in terms of the oh i forgot the women's triple jump shalom alutu was 12th in women's triple jump so that's all of the podium finishers for the Big 12 championship. I don't believe Hay State did particularly well. Uh, women ended up getting seventh place, men ended up placing eighth. So you know it it's not we, we didn't get last. and I would I would like to focus on a couple of the the good individual performances. That being said, the the highest performance was Tamia Coons with the discus throw, which was fifty one point seven meters, which very impressive, but that was good for fourth. So
1: yeah, KCA track traditionally has really good throwing and field defense and has really struggled on the sprint side of things because a lot of those uh, southern schools and Oregon, because they're Oregon. And they have that like Olympic level track facility. Um, They are able to kind of hoard a lot of the uh, sprinters. That's why schools like uh, Texas and Texas Tech did so well. Um, And then it's also worth mentioning that uh, on the men's side of things, there's only nine uh, men's track teams. And I think it's West Virginia that does not have a men's track team, but they have a women's track team. I I think that's a little weird, but whatever they want to do, I guess. But yeah, um, definitely a far cry from just a few years ago, where the women uh, won the uh, Big Twelve championship and uh, had a really um outstanding performance. But um, regardless, they still finished ahead of uh, a few very strong schools, so. Not the worst in the world, not the best. Um, maybe we'll see here in the next few years with the uh, new indoor facility, we'll see recruiting kind of uptick and, uh, and that, that should at least be somewhat of a draw to have that nice facility right next to the outdoor track.
0: Yeah, I agree. So that that's pretty much track and field told you it'd be short and sweet, more focused than last time where it was Connor reciting names, me laughing in the background, but. Now we can talk about men's golf. Yes, that's a true story. The men's golf team had gotten an invitation to the NCAA regional and they were shooting pretty well all throughout it. And even to the very end, they were shooting very well. They entered today, the day we're recording, which uh, this is being recorded on Wednesday. So if something happens on Thursday, oops. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But you know they they didn't shoot poorly. It's just that they were came into the day really close with Michigan State. Michigan State ends up, I think slipping. And then Florida comes out of absolute nowhere and catches fire, which I didn't think was possible in a golf tournament to knock K State down to sixth, killing off their team chances for to compete in the national tournament. However, there was one individual, and that was Luke O'Neill. he gets to compete in the national title as an individual, but it is really, it kind of sucks that it's not even the K-State did poorly. It's just that one team caught fire at a really inopportune time for K-State.
1: Yeah. Florida was down uh, a little lower, um, but then had a really good uh, final round. In fact, they had the uh, best round uh, on the course um on the final day k-state for what it's worth tied for the second best final round so k-state did about everything it could do um but florida just caught fire and it got to the point where they didn't even finish fifth they were far ahead of the cut line they were fourth and two strokes ahead of fifth which was texas uh so k-state would have had a better shot at um passing at texas than florida when it was all said and done yeah. but yeah luke o'neill he was awesome uh he finished tied for second in the entire event so he is i think according to the um men's golf twitter just the fourth um individual in k-state men's golf history um to go to the uh, national tournament so uh, good for luke o'neill um additionally um on that last day of competition um tim tillman's did not compete uh, and lauren shirkin um, came in for him instead as an alternate. I imagine either an injury or an illness or something like that. Um, and he did fine. He hit par. Um, broke even. So, nothing nothing catastrophic there or anything like that. But Still unfortunate to have what was a really good season come up just three shots shy of uh, making it to the national tournament. But... If anything, it's encouraging because there's a lot of really talented young golfers on the team. So hopefully they'll make a run next year and try and continue K-State's golfing dominance.
0: Yeah, because it's a it's a golf dynasty now. And if we don't win the Natty last, next year, it just means we need to shutter every single other program at K-State to funnel
1: money into the golf team. Frankly, I think the entire athletics complex should be turned into a world-class golf course, and we should take all the best student athletes from other um, sports and have them try out for the golf team. Like the best <laughs> five get to play. Oh,
0: future golf superstar Cooper Beebe! But... <laughs> that's exactly
1: what I was thinking of. Actually, <laughs> I don't know we why
0: joke, but that's the hive mind. That must be it. Hive mind moment. Sadly the LA cat hive mind. Lucas is also a part of the alley cat hive mind. I fear. sadly. Exactly. But, <laughs> but before we talk about the Batcats, cats, which first off, congratulations to Luke O'Neill for advancing to the national tournament. Before we talk about the back cats, here's a quick word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the discussion of the back cats. And, uh, let me preface this series by saying that I feel like the monkey's paw kind of curled a little bit because you and I, for literal weeks, we were saying, "Oh, we just we just need one game. We just need to pick up one game down in Stillwater." And the monkey's paw curled because it was a one-two split, but it wasn't just any one-two split. It we won the first game ten to nine, and then oh my goodness gracious, the last two games happened. It was a five to nineteen loss, and then a two to twelve run rule loss in the getaway game. Uh, well, we said we needed one; we got our one, and like this is—I feel I don't want to say everything else was house money because watching those last two games. Well, okay, the second game it crossed the uh, the threshold that Connor and I have where we just start laughing. In fact, it was uh, it was after graduation, my graduation, that we we started watching the game with a friend of us and friend of the show, Aiden. And uh, we every single time that we got a hit or a strikeout, it was just, oh, we're so back when we're down 14.
1: (laughs) And then anytime anything bad would happen to us, it's over. It's over. We're gone forever. But yeah, I'm with you initially. Um, And for several for several weeks, we've been proclaiming that we just need to take one and still water. And I was thrilled to get that on the first night. And I was like, great. So we just need to keep these next two respectable. We did not. And we ended up getting outscored the spice split in the series uh, one to two. We outscored 40 to 17 uh, this weekend, which is suboptimal, according to my calculations. And so i think we ultimately still saw a pretty solid bump in rpi um all things considered uh, i think we're up to 51 in rpi and 41 in rpi plus yeah uh, which is really good but we definitely need to win the series against tcu or go on a tear uh in arlington in the big 12 tournament preferably both um but As of now, we're still in the field, but we can't get comfortable with that. Like, I think we absolutely have to um, take the series against TCU, preferably sweep it because you want to sweep everybody. But especially in this situation, we really need to sweep TCU, and they're going to be desperate as well because they're also kind of on that bubble area. So um, massive, massive, massive home series against TCU. So, we we need to take care of business pretty much.
0: Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about TCU after we we talk about these games more holistically. Uh, we can start with the first game. We're going to skim over the last two games because there's quite literally nothing worth mentioning from a K State perspective other than, you know, KC got hit again, but when doesn't he? Wait, did he get we did hit have, again? We, yes, he did. Of we course.
1: did. We did have those. Um back-to-back-to-back solo home runs in the second game when we thought we were so back, and then they scored, like, 12 unanswered or something crazy like that. (laughs) Yeah, but
0: for for the first game, I covered pitching last week, so I'll cover offense this week. It was a pretty solid day, only, you know, obviously scoring 10 runs against Oklahoma State. They're a good squad. Uh, Only leaving four on base, which is massive. So... Everyone had a pretty solid day with the exception of Rafi and Kyan Lotus. Uh, Brendan Jones, one for four, two runs. Cash, usually two for five, two runs. Uh, KC, Kalen Culpepper ends up with a double and goes three for five with two runs and two RBI. Uh, Brady Day, rarely does not... he. Does not collect a walk this game, but he does get two hits, two for five, one RBI, two strikeouts. Nick Goodwin goes four for five with three RBI. That was a massive day for Goody. And fun fact, K-State did not hit a single home run this game, which was it's odd to say. But uh, uh, Kojo went one for three, two RBI. Kyan Lotus took the O for Roberto Pena goes two for four with one RBI and that's pretty much it for notable offensive stats. There were four total doubles, though, by KC, Nick Goodman, Kojo, and Roberto Pena. So, yeah, it was a really, really great offensive game for K-State.
1: Yeah. Um, Kaelin, especially in the first two games, um, he was excellent. Um, He came up huge... In the uh, first game, second game, it would have been a huge performance if the game had been remotely close. Because uh, he he still went two for three with a walk and got hit by a pitch, so that's like a, you know really good stuff from him. But it also didn't matter. So, yeah. but really impressive for him. Goodwin, it was nice to see him finally have uh, a big day, and because he had been really struggling um at the plate uh big 12 play but he did a uh, uh a solid job so um all things considered yeah good job for the uh um batters the pitching was also um so the stat lines were not fantastic um but they they still were huge um Borama he has his seventh win on the year. He's seven and one now as K-State starter. He's really solidified himself as a guy that can go a he can go a long way in his starts. Uh in six and a third, you have know, eight hits, seven runs. All of them were earned. Three walks, four strikeouts, and hit two batters. Um, but most of it was um all or nothing innings. He was either giving up multiple runs or he was uh um, three up, going through up and down. So um, if he was able to keep guys off the base paths, he was able to do good because this Oklahoma state team is one of the best offensive teams in the country. And then Tyson neighbors came in and mostly slammed the door shut, except for a a brief scare in the ninth inning. But regardless, he still goes two and two thirds, two hits, um, two earned runs, a rare home run given up by neighbors. uh, And he gets five strikeouts as well. So, strong out half the batters that he faced. Allegedly, his 10th save on the year, if you ask the Big 12 Conference, his 12th, um, we're going to ask the Big 12 because that's more. Yeah, it benefits our narrative. It does. So, we will be asking them instead. But, no, yeah, all things considered, this was a really quality day for the uh, K-State defense. Um, The bats came up huge. They responded when they needed to. And uh, we're able to get a big 7th inning to really um, give K-State a nice cushion. So uh, it ended up being a close game, but at one point we were up 10-5. to Almost lost that, but we were able to hold on, and Neighbors, despite a blemish, uh, was able to get the save regardless. So really, this was kind of the only way I think K-State was going to be able to win down Stillwater, which was going to be outscoring and limiting damage as much as possible, which frankly for Oklahoma state, this was a solid job, I think uh, for our pitching staff in this first game. So uh, good for the back Hats. got, got the big win. Yeah.
0: And uh, we're. I, I'm not going to go through the individual stats for the next two games. Suffice it to say, neither of them went particularly well. Uh, just, just, at, at a glance, you know, the second game, scoring five runs is all right, and then you get 19 put up against you. Well, that sucks. And then the last game was just a garbage. It, it was basically garbage time from, like, the third inning, which is such a shame because, like, if, if memory serves, Bus didn't do horribly. Well, he did give up seven, but yeah, it, it fell apart immediately afterwards. So it – I there's not much to say Oklahoma state just was better and they were playing in their home park there. I, I don't feel awful about having lost this. It sucks that we lost them as hard as we did, but this isn't like an alarm bell loss. This isn't like a St. Thomas.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We went up against a really good team on their home turf that, was pretty uniquely positioned to exploit our greatest weakness, which is pitching depth. And we did not even see Kyler Haney this weekend. Uh, so Pete decided to rest him and uh, hopefully keep his arm fresh for this big series uh, coming up against TCU. Because, yeah, you know, Bus honestly was very close, I think, to having a solid outing. And let it get away from him in the first. And then was able to go three up, three down on the second. And in the third inning, it just exploded. Granted, some of those runs were inherited runs. Uh, he gave those to Ty Ruhl, um, but still one credited to him. But Tyrule didn't really have a fantastic day either. Um, that, that was just a tough outing all around for the K-State pitching staff. Nobody was really hitting. Um, We weren't able to hit their day three guy, uh, which was kind of unfortunate. And uh, now we just didn't look great. Oklahoma State, they were getting hits uh, almost half of the at-bats they had. Uh, They went as a team 13 for 29, uh, whereas K-State went four for 23. Um, We did get one more walk than they did. So, oh. oh, that's so reassuring. <laughs> it's not, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, yeah. Um, but yeah, just not a lot to talk about in these last couple of games. We saw Corey Cater for the first time in a very long time, and he gave up two unearned runs and had two strikeouts. And then we saw Andrew Evans for one inning, and he was solid. Honestly, it went better than I thought it would, given it's been so long since we've seen him. Uh got one strikeout, one hit, uh, induced two ground outs in his one inning of work. Um but, but yeah, really no none of the first four pitchers that we threw up um against Oklahoma State were able to really do a whole lot in that second day. So not a lot to analyze from this other than the last two days we've got smoked. By a team that's a lot deeper than we are, yeah.
0: And after that, the NCAA tournament projections have us as a three seed in the Cora in the Coral Gables region, which that region would include number twelve Miami, number two uh, Alabama, not number two Alabama, it, number twelve in the country, Miami, Alabama, us, and then Central Connecticut State, and that's honestly kind of a favorable bracket for us. Uh, if we can maintain being in that region, obviously things are going to move around. If I had to guess, probably Alabama may get kicked out of that region, so it would probably be another SEC school. But and Central Connecticut State, I want to be rude, but literally who? So yeah, I'm going to say that, and we're going to go to this region. And they're going to drop twenty on us, and everyone's going to point and laugh at me, and I'll accept it.
1: <laughs> you know, I won't make fun of you much
0: everybody else will yeah but you know that that's a pretty solid position but you it's not you are never really comfortable as a three seed you're comfortable if you're sitting at a two seed because then really all you're looking at is moving regions and maybe sliding down to a three seed three and four seeds are when you start feeling a little shaky tcu is also a three seed and unfortunately they would find themselves in the baton rouge region where they would have to face Rouge. up against LSU, Southern Miss, and Nichols State, which apparently Baton Rouge is a more favorable region. Um, so maybe it's good if we lose <laughs> maybe we should just lose to avoid going to Baton Rouge, but that's a joke. But <laughs> that obviously you the the TCU series is big and it starts the day after this comes out. So we're going we're gonna to miss the first game, but one of us will be live tweeting it. So follow us on Twitter, at AggievilleACATS, by the way. But, you know, it's, it's a massive series. Friday's game is going to have fireworks. They just announced that after the game, weather permitting. And I was then, actually
1: about to say that. And then, <laughs> weather and, then, permitting.
0: and then Saturday, Connor will be there getting a beer bat.
1: No, I will not, dude. What? They... Yeah, I I called them and this was like several weeks ago, but I called them and they said that they had just sold out when I called. I'm I'm devastated in your media. <laughs> I should have I, I should have told them I'm like a New York Times like college baseball stadium reviewer. <laughs>
0: no, but, no, but you could have you probably could have said I'm from the Aggie Valley Cats and there's like a 50 50 shot. They know who, they would know who you were. I'd
1: put it at maybe 20%. I mean, well, if I it's
0: baseball ticketing, I don't know. Maybe, maybe put in a word with one of the players. Who knows? Yeah,
1: anyway. should I should ask Tyson Neighbors to bring us one. Oh, and for the record, um, RPI for Central Connecticut State, uh, they are 112th in RPI. They're 0-4 against Quad 1, have not played a Quad 2 team, 2-1 and 1 against Quad 3, and uh, 28 of their 30 wins have come against Quad 4 because uh, their conference is awful. So cool. for the for the record, the um, only quad one series they played, they faced LSU and Baton Rouge and they lost in seven innings in both of them, 26 to four and 13 to zero. Ooh. And then they played Northeastern, who is allegedly RPI 33, and they lost that five to two. And their last series coming up um, starting tomorrow, Fun fact is against Stonehill, who we saw earlier this year.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that. So yeah that that's who Central Connecticut State is. But you know, Con- Connor, you said it earlier, so I'm just going to steal it from you. But everyone heard it from you first on this episode, so everyone can know that I'm stealing. Uh, it's not stealing if you cite your sources, <laughs> but we either need to win this series two to one, sweep the series, or if we don't win this series, we need to show out in the big 12 tournament, which granted Pete Hughes has a tendency to do just, we have to avoid facing TCU in any high stakes game late in the tournament because they will suddenly just sap all of our pitchers and we will never see any of them again.
1: Yeah. We're, we really, really, really need the deeper parts of the bullpen to step up and not even be elite. We just need them to give us a few batters here and there. We need to tr- we need a bunch of Trey Robertson versus Wichita State type of relief outings. We need someone to come out, throw to like two batters like that they're specialized to like go against, and then leave. That's <laughs> all that we need. Like, like We just need to find guys to bridge gaps and because right now we don't really have a lot of that. We need Andrew Evans to give us a similar outing to what he gave us in the second game against Oklahoma State, which is getting buried because the game went really bad, but Andrew Evans did solid. Granted, it was towards the end, so everybody was kind of checked out, but it's important for him to get that experience. We're going to need people like Andrew Evans uh, to go on this run. That's been our Achilles heel. Uh, late in the season as a fleet is we just run out of arms additionally we're gonna need our starters to go deep
0: given our 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 three primary starters right now two of them have not proven that they can but they need to Yes, as I know they're, they're to, not going to
1: but they need to yeah
0: <laughs> Because I, I fully
1: understand the difference between can they and they need to, <laughs>
0: yeah, because Fajardo is always good. Well typically he's good for five. Bus is a wild card at this point because he's just so young. We've seen yeah, we... him go like four. I think the most he's done in an outing was like was it five and a third? ish somewhere around there.
1: Borum is the one guy that we've actually seen go fairly far into the game. Mm-hmm. Like he pretty routinely goes against, uh, goes over 100 pitches. And to me, going far is like more than six, at least to me, if you're a starter. Like even six in the third, at like the college level, to me, that's deep enough, especially if you can stretch that just a little. And if you really need to, you can put Haney in there for an inning and then give Tyson the last two. Like that's how we should be structuring I think that first game because it is so important to win that first game.
0: Yeah, you don't want to end up in the loser's bracket despite the fact that we have
1: years. <laughs> yeah. We just need to try our best to stay out of that bracket so we're playing fewer and fewer games, getting more advantageous rest uh, and generally avoiding um, the, uh, the uh, difficulties of playing in that loser's bracket because Once you get to the end of it, you've got someone that you have to beat two times in a row. And a lot of times, by the time you get to that point, you're just out of guys.
0: Yeah. Which sucks. It's a feeling that sucks because it's like an inevitable feeling. It's like a feeling of impending dread.
1: Yeah. You're just going to have to hope somebody is able to step up and perform like you haven't seen them do before. (laughs) I think at that rate, Which which isn't reliable, but sometimes it happens. By yeah. Jackson Passano back in one? Twenty, 20 one, I think. Yeah, I think it was 2021. I literally forgot he was on the roster. And then he went out and gave us like three quality innings out of absolutely nowhere. So we Trey need, Robertson, come on down. I would love for Trey Robertson to come on down. I frankly, I don't care who it is. <laughs> <laughs> if it's Trey, that's fine. But if it's not him, that's okay too. But he just needs someone.
0: Yeah. So that, that's pretty much all the, the projection we're going to do for the Bat-Cats. Now we can get into the wacky segment of the week. And this week's question is a hypothetical situation. So say ESPN Plus approaches you, you, for feedback on which K-State team to follow for a docuseries. Which team are you telling them to follow?
1: For next season? For next season. To me, it almost certainly has to be one of the basketball teams. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very compelling argument for football as well because they're going to be quality. Um, but I think getting Jerome Tang's second year or getting the year of truth with uh, um, Midi and the, the um, crossing over, of a Lee and Gabby Gregory and the Glenn twins and Sundell getting all of that talent all in one year like that's going to be one of our better teams for a very long time so we're going to have to be interesting to cover that men's basketball will be great too from a culture perspective just to see the inner workings of the team and how they interact with each other you know a lot of stuff like that would be super fun I think and I would not complain at all about getting a football documentary because they also have a really good culture. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do this year. So they could be a great choice as well. I know that's kind of basic answers, but I truly do think those are probably the best three options. Either that or the first season under Jason Mansfield for volleyball.
0: But if you had to pick one of those, which yeah. one would you pick?
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to roll with women's basketball.
0: I'm really glad that you picked that because if you picked men's basketball, we were just going to have a consensus because I was not going to budge for men's basketball. And the reason why is because I know I know the the obvious answer for exposure is you always want to go with football because football is the most popular sport. That being said, I and this is going to sound very strange. I don't think that the K-State culture for football is particularly conducive to a docu-series like that because the culture that they've brought in is very much a come in, put in the work, do your job, do it quietly, and you'll get your opportunity to show it on the field. That's very much the culture that they've been sort of building under Kleiman. I think that's a great culture. I really think it is, but it it's not conducive to like the most entertaining docu-series so I think most people would leave, like most of non-ball knowers would leave, like a K-State football docu series, just really bored. <laughs> so I I feel like the obvious answer would be Tang because that is a culture that embla- embraces you know flash embraces you know obviously you can work but you the work that they put in just is so spontaneous and Tang is such like an awesome outgoing personality that Kleiman just isn't so I I feel like the obvious answer for that is men's basketball like you said women's basketball is a really really great choice just because of how much talent is in that room we we'd have to do some research on it but this very well may be the most talent that a k-state women's basketball team has ever had
1: yeah, I think that you could make very strong arguments for some of those uh, early two thousand squads that I think would go head to head with this team, possibly surpass. Um, I just wasn't old enough to remember those teams. Uh, but like the oh, uh, Nicole Oldie and Kendra Wecker, I think uh, were on those squads. I think I think there's like three stars that have their jerseys in the Raptors from those teams, but I just don't remember them that well but in the last 20 years, this is definitely the most talented team. Um, Ayoko Lee. And there's al- also a lot of the stars and like notable figures on that team. They have some pretty inspiring stories of perseverance, like Jeff Nitti, um dealt with, um, her family dealt with significant health issues recently because uh, his wife had a uh, breast cancer. And Ayoko Lee goes through a lot of pain with her knee rehab and gabby gregory um has a really bad um, experience um with the new coaching staff in oklahoma and comes to k-state uh, to kind of escape that and wants to play with the Lee. so there's a lot of interesting stories to tell probably some of those players that just transferred in from louisville might have some stories as well so there there's a lot of uh, intriguing stories there but the same goes for the men's basketball squad as well. There's a lot of really cool stories there. If only Marquise Naval was still here. And oh uh Keontae Johnson. Because there had been a documentary of last season's team, that would have done numbers because of just the inspirational nature of it and up being Tank's first year. Um, but I think you can't go wrong with either of those, honestly. But I don't blame you for sticking to the men's team because they're <laughs> that's a fantastic choice. There's so many likable figures on that team. Yeah.
0: So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Aggieville ACATS. That's Capital A, Capital A, and Capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggyville at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at AC Edwards00.
1: I'm at Connor Balthazar Capital C, Capital B.
0: And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find the staff approved Doom Clan, play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.